1: How cool is this? Adriana D'Souza is giving this old bastard some advice. I love them. So, you know, I'm saying that I'm a super stoked guy. I love my surfing experience. I love surfing when it's three foot. I love surfing when it's 10 feet. And as surfers, we are so lucky that we have that opportunity to continually push ourselves throughout our surfing lives.
0: That's right. We're bringing you a candid conversation with Sean Thompson. Discussing the importance of storytelling, surfing as metaphor for life, and his new book, The Code. That's right now on an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. A moment of business before we get into today's show. Surf Splendor is completely free, but you can support the show, and we need your support to help grow the show organically. Do so by sharing the show with a friend. Tell them verbally, send them a link to our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, or promote it via social media, where you can find us, at Surf Splendor. Thanks in advance, and enjoy today's show. Welcome to Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. Surf Splendor is simply conversations about surfing. For today's show, we bring you a conversation with Sean Thompson. Where does one even begin giving an introduction to Sean Thompson? There is so much ground to cover. I originally had this interview outlined to cover Sean's history, what it was like venturing from South Africa as a young teenager to the North Shore of Hawaii in the early 70s, his pipe masters win in 1975, his world title win in 1977, but I decided to go a different direction. All of those events have been widely covered in the surf media, and in fact, Sean himself produced a Hollywood quality documentary in 2006 called Bustin' Down the Door. And that tells a lot of those stories. It's actually available on Netflix and you should definitely see it if you haven't already. But all of those stories are really important to surf history, and we've posted links to all the stories on our website, so I highly encourage you to study up on Sean's history. What has defined Sean's life, however, are not the events that have taken place, but rather his response to each event. The decision whether or not to paddle back out after a near-death wipeout at Waimea, those are the types of moments that forge one's character, and that is precisely the topic of Sean's new book entitled, The Code. Sean has publicly surmounted huge feats and suffered devastating losses in his life. But it is the transitions and the recoveries that he and I discussed on a warm afternoon in mid-October on a park bench in Huntington Beach, California. I'm gonna start with a real long, sordid introduction, so just follow me through sure, it and good. then um, you know, go from there. And it's actually a quote from chapter 10 in the book, which is the chapter, I will imagine. Um, and you say in that chapter, it Talking says- Talking
1: about <laughs> What? Talking about tubes. Exactly.
0: And um, after you describe that tube, you talk, you say, um, I see a complementary relationship between our actions in life and our imagination. Each defines and is defined by the other. This holds true for my surfing. The more I surf, the more possibilities open up to me and the more possibilities I can imagine, the better my surfing becomes, and the richer the entire surfing experience. I personally resonate, that resonated with me, and I think um, surfers, even if they can't articulate it, know that there's, on a macro level and a micro level in surfing, a lot of metaphor for life. You know, um, a lesson in patience, maybe, and waiting for the better wave, rather than being antsy and jumping on the good wave, waiting for the better opportunity. Um, I feel like whenever artists try to recreate that metaphor or explain that metaphor, they fail oftentimes, especially in Hollywood, trying to showcase surfing to the greater public. You know, it, it comes across cheesy or corny. I think you have found a platform where you're able to articulate that very, um, like the beauty and the nuance of surfing, you're able to articulate it very effectively. To the public at large? I mean, it resonates with surfers, but I think to the public who doesn't surf, it resonates as well, and you've been able to do that with your writing and perhaps your public speaking as well. Um, can you tell me about how you found that process and why it's important for you,
1: you know, to articulate that? I think because I think my motivation comes from a very pure place, firstly. Um, my motivation to talk about surfing, my motivation to share my message, my motivation to share the stories, my motivation to share um, what I love about surfing—it comes from from just giving back to what surfing has given me. So surfing has given me so much uh, in my life, and I don't mean just from an economic perspective. I mean from um, from many, many different aspects of my life, how surfing has enriched my hardest times in my life. Surfing has um, shown me a way forward. Uh, surfing has been my solace, surfing has been my um, my refuge, surfing has been uh, responsible for some of the greatest moments of my life just from an exhilaration, yeah. uh, sensation standpoint. It's taught me so much about life. So my motivation to, to share comes not to sell books not to sell board shorts not to sell t-shirts not to enrich a brand but it, gives, it comes from a pure motivation just to give back something yeah. that surfing's given me so I think when you have um, when your motivation comes from from a pure undiluted place just to give it's um, it's I think it's a lot easier to speak the message because the message is about is about the truth. Hmm. Um, when I talk about surf metaphors mm-hmm. um, and how it responds to life, they also they all come from personal experience. So, when I talk about, uh, I always paddle back out, Yeah. when I talk about having a terrible crushing my part of my man, I thought I was going to die and, um, and, and what I had to do and where to find the courage from to paddle back out. Um, it's personal experience. It's not something I, I read from a Peter Drucker management book or I read in a, uh, from Robin Sharma or Tony Robbins. It's like pure. It's, it's, it's from my core, core experience. So it's true.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think when you're speaking about your own experience, it's, it's so much easier to articulate clearly what you felt. Um, also as a surfer you sit and you wait and you wait for a long time you spend a lot more time waiting and thinking about waves than you do about riding them because waves are very short you know maybe you get like an unbelievable tube ride and you can have like one of the greatest tube rides you've ever ridden in less than 30 seconds Yeah. but you might have travelled you know halfway around the world you might have been in a plane for 33 hours you might have been in a car for 4 hours you might have taken you half an hour to paddle out through crushing surf, and you might have waited for that wave for an hour, and then you've ridden that wave for less than thirty seconds. So you spend a lot of I spent a lot of time thinking and, I, and I think about my surfing. So my surfing was instinctive, but I think my surfing was also based on thought and based on, on imagination. That's why my latest book in, in, the, in the code. I encourage young people to use my book as an exercise and I encourage them to write their own code. It takes 30 minutes, it's 12 lines, every line begins with our will. And it's both about thought and it's about instinct as well. It's a stream of consciousness exercise in which a young person, or an older person, I mean a lot of corporate executives are doing it now, Yeah, yeah. you sit for 30 minutes, you think about yourself think about like what really deeply motivates you what your core values are and you think about where you want to go make 12 promises to yourself so the reason that I think the exercise should be done quickly is because it's got to be both instinctive and it's got to be both thoughtful it has to be a fusion of the two and surfing's got power man you know all you got to do with surfing just got to look below the surface a little bit. Just like yeah. look under your board.
0: Yeah,
1: um, And there are surfers out there who are unbelievably talented athletes and as individuals who are also incredibly thoughtful. You know everyone thinks of Kelly Slater, wow man this guy is just like 41 years old, like 11 world titles. Like this machine, this competitive machine. But when you talk to Kelly, Kelly is an incredibly connected spiritual person. Yeah. You know, I asked Kelly, hey man, you had this like insane final against Andy Irons. I asked him after the final. I, I was sitting there watching you. The final. You needed 9-3. You had 30 seconds left. Andy was walking up the beach like, yeah, I won. You know, like walking up the beach like this. I said, and I just happened to be in the commentary booth every now and then. I do some commentary for events. It's very, very rare. Um, and I was sitting there watching and, I, and man I know JB better than anyone, I reckon I know that lineup better than anyone, almost anyone. Um, and I was three wave set and I'm sitting up high and I can see it's a three wave set. And you can't see it's a three wave set. Time's ticking down the first wave, you let it go. And second wave, let it go. Third wave, swing around and you go and you get a 9-4. Uh, you, win, you win the final maybe one of the greatest fathers. yeah I remember that you ever won it was like unbelievable so I said like tell me about it because like, you know I'm thinking like some surface it just connected like current yeah. current it was like connected you know he had this sort of innate understanding of the movement of the ocean and his place in the universe so he said you know I was finished exhausted, I had nothing left, I had no gas left. He said and I just sat there. He said two dolphins swam past me. He said and I followed them. And they took me to where I needed to be. So this is the connection that, that gifted surfers have with the universe, with with uh, with nature. And when there's this fusion of like incredible athletic talent and um I don't want to call it emotional awareness. It's like universal awareness. These guys—it's amazing to see their gifts in action. And there are some people like that. And it's thought, and it's instinct. It's the fusion yeah. of the two. And you know that 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 sort of duality has, I think, that touches everything that, that, that I do. That that, that duality of, of thought instinct and then uh, the underlying everything for me is, is just inspiration, you know, surfing's given me this gift, it's wonderful, it's inspired me all my life and, and, and uh, hopefully the projects that I do, I will inspire other people too, but that is what they are designed to do.
0: Well you started off that um, response by saying that when, the, um, when you're that sincere, you know when the inspiration is sincere and genuine, that it has um, just more impactful message. Can you talk about the inspiration behind writing this book? I think writing a book is a large undertaking and it takes a certain amount of determination and perseverance. And also the audience, the demographic that it's directed at, young people, it takes a certain amount of altruism to spend that amount of time giving them that gift. So can you talk about the inspiration behind writing The Code?
1: Well, I think it's... um... You know, it's inspired by the loss of my beautiful son. I lost him when he was 15 and a half in 2006 to just playing a stupid game, just this taking a risk that, 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 that he, shouldn't have, he shouldn't have taken. And I, and I know that, you know, what my wife and I had to endure, it was the terrible, moment, the pain and the suffering, um, and trying to find our way back to, like, to the light after that. And there's a lot of, a, a lot of uh, young people, you know, there's um, 12,000 of them that die every year in the United States between 12 and 19. I call it the danger demographic from preventable accidents, from playing a game like my son played a choking game, suicide, uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, car accidents, homicide. There's a whole list of all preventable accidents, all just bad decisions. Yeah, that's what it is. It's bad decisions. So, if this book, by what I write and what I say and when I go around and talk at at schools and universities about it, um, can save one kid, they'd be unbelievable. That's the mission accomplished, just one. Um, So, that that sort of is one of the motivations. Another one is... um, I mean, what the stimulus was, okay, that's sort of the, maybe the underlying motivation. But I went and spoke with this little school in Santa Barbara, 80 kids, and a Kappa School, the headmaster's a surfer. I met him in the water at Rincon. Oh, okay. Yeah, we started chatting and it turns out that he was um, the headmaster.
0: Did he know who you were or just random? Yeah, no,
1: he, he knew, he knew. I me. Mean, okay. Uh, um, I mean, in that sort of, I've been going to Rincon surfing there since the 70s, so, Yeah, Yeah, yeah. You know, older guy, most older guys, they know me. Um, so I went to speak at the school, and while I was talking to the kids, I'd just talk about surface code, about these metaphors, about this, the lessons that surfing's taught me about life. Um, I said, listen, what I'd like you kids to do is, is do an assignment for me. I said, I'd like you to write your own code. I'd like you to write twelve promises to yourself. It's like simple. Twelve lines, every line begins without will. Half an hour and sent me the answers. Which just, I just had a... Uh, this was last year. I had just, like, spur of the moment. Brainwave, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Brainwave, I like it. <laughs> uh, so, um, the kids sent me the responses. I don't know, maybe 80 times 12, so I got like maybe 1,000 lines of code. And the very first one was, I will be myself. I will be myself, from a young girl. Man, I thought, man, that's so profound. Eh? For what youth's facing today, peer pressure, bullying, what happened to my son. Um, my son didn't learn about choking game from me. Maybe, sort of, the way a mate told him. So young people have great power for good and they have great power for evil too. So, when I when I read this, man, it's just so amazing. Like, kids just going, I'm going to be myself. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to do what someone else wants me to do. I'm just going to be myself. And I just thought it's like an anthem. Like an, it like spoke to me like a song. You know, like you hear a song and you can't get it out of your mind. Okay. I'm be myself. I thought it was so profound. So I thought i got to write a book. So um, my first book was a collaboration with Patrick Moser. Patrick had never done a book. I'd never done a book. I met him at a talk I was doing about surface code. And he came up to me. after he said, Sean, I think this would make a terrific book. Let's write a book together. And I said, Well, I've never written a book. He said, Well, I haven't, but I'm a professor of French literature. I know something about writing, you know. Yeah. So we we collaborated together on uh, on Surface Code. And as soon as this young girl, when I read this, I found mean, out Patrick. I said, Patrick, let's do another book. Um, we did the first one together. Um, Uh, Let's let's do another one and we we worked on on, uh, on the code together. So I'm hoping that the book is is a stimulus for young people all over the world to write their own code and not just write it, share it. Mm -hmm. Because this young girl shared her code with me, I'll be myself and I thought wow, it motivated me to do something. Like maybe there's a kid out there who's having a troubled time. And a friend shares something cool with them, maybe I'll help them. Uh, so the goal is getting all these kids, I don't exactly know how I'm gonna do it yet, but getting all these kids write the code, write the code, and share it. Yeah. And send it out there into the world. So it's like this wave, to use a surfing metaphor, it's like a wave <clears throat> of positive energy that just keeps running around the world. You know, we'll get a storm create a surf in Malibu that's generated by a storm in New Zealand. Uh, but what about if that that storm just kept going, that wave just kept building. So <laughs> And it builds
0: momentum. But it momentum,
1: I'm just hoping hoping uh, hoping it happens. And and what it is, it doesn't cost one cent. I don't make anything out of it. It doesn't cost a cent. It's not like a okay well let's let's like sell some energy drink. That's it's not. It's just yeah. like and kids helping each other, writing their own code, thinking about their future, thought and instinct, and then goodwill, sending it out and helping each other. It's simple. It,
0: it's <clears throat> having, uh, you talk about that age 12 to 18 or 19. What what it is is having intention in your action during that age because I think a lot of kids, they um, they don't, your brain isn't fully developed, and you don't understand consequence at that
1: age. No, you don't. So
0: you act, act, and there are consequence. But what you're talking about is kind of applying a little bit of intention behind their their action, and I think that directed in a good way is a good thing. Yeah. you know.
1: So. You no, know, it's it's interesting. You know, I've never thought of it thought of it that way, but I mean, I, I do know, and there've been many, many studies about um, you know that age maybe it's frontal lobe or whatever it's some part of the brain that's not fully uh, yeah. fully developed so kids don't understand the um, you know the consequences of their, their action i mean there've been numerous 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 yeah. studies but you know with when you go surfing you understand man you screw up man, you're going to get nailed on that coral. so a lot of surfers are very um, you know, I think there's that intimate understanding of cause and effect. Eh? There is. There's that understanding. You know that you make a mistake and get punished. Yeah. You get punished. There's a consequence. Whereas, I know that maybe there's a lot of. You know, maybe aimlessness is a problem in in uh, modern society, um, and there are those wonderful lessons that, you know, that. That surfing can teach you, you know. I'll always paddle back out, and you're going to paddle back out for that next wave. You're going to actually do something. You're going to commit. So, there's, there's just powerful lessons for all of us in surfing. Yeah. I mean, the key, surfing keeps teaching me. Yeah. Uh, lessons.
0: Um, I made that note about always paddle back out. Um, another one of the chapters is titled um, "I Will Face My Fears." And can you share for the listeners the story of the pink banana?
1: Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's a real uh,
0: practical application of facing so affairs.
1: It's interesting. The You know, that story is, um, you know, pipeline, you know, it's about running pipeline with this amazing board that turned out to be a fluke, uh, and, and it was a board that, um, that I think maybe took surfing in a different direction in terms of performance capability. It sort of was a significant uh, technological improvement, and a lot of I think design innovations happened just like a fluke, like that board. It had so much curve in it that um, you could take a much later at Pipeline, and you could actually do maneuvers on the face because that wave was so hollow that uh, the boards of the time were really made for um, for like riding in a straight line, like sure, know, like. You know, shooting that arrow down a tunnel. Um, but that board was a fluke. It was designed... It was supposed to be based on a design by a guy called Dick Brewer, who was a legendary Hawaiian shaper. And I'd taken some pictures of... my One of my surf heroes at the time was a guy, Jeff Hackman. I'd taken pictures of his board to take back to my shaper. I'd been in Hawaii in 1974. Um, and I'd taken these pictures back and he tried to duplicate it, but he couldn't quite get it right. So in order to get the curve of these of this long Hawaiian gun, which was, when I say long Hawaiian gun, 710, it seems like massive Mm -hmm. by today's standards what guys are riding. But that was sort of the standard size between 710 and 880. That's what you used to ride at sunset. He couldn't get the curve I wanted in it, so he he laminated the board. Uh, So that means he put the fiberglass and, and put the resin on with a squeegee. And while it was drying, he put these huge a huge pile of bricks on the nose and he bent the entire board as it was drying, so it, it had this sort of parabolic bend in it, mm-hmm. and uh, instead of having sort of a gentle curve and then a, a nose kick, so it ended up with this board that was like a banana, and I'd ordered a red board, like a classic Hawaiian gun, you know, like yeah. the classic Dick Brewer Hawaiian gun, and for some reason it came out pink, I don't know why it came out pink, and um so there I am with a pink board that's just like a banana. Too much rocker. Uh, too much rocker. It looked like a dog. I took it out at sunset my first day day there and just had a terrible wipeout and got a board across both shins. And the board was a dog who just spun out. It was a terrible, terrible board. Um, and then Pipeline came up and I thought, well, I'll have a go at pip. and I didn't want to take take a uh, I'd gotten a sponsor board from Lightning Bolt I didn't want to take that out there so I thought well, I'll just take out the pink banana I mean if I break it I don't care because it's such a dog anyway and uh, I remember paddling out there and you know pipeline was very intimidating oh, yeah. back then for us guys because it was just so steep it was so radical and uh, you know like the, the, the kings were all goofy footers Jerry Lopez was like the king there Jerry Lopez Rory Russell um, and they had this sort of the way they took off. They would take off at a slight angle. We had to go straight down, and uh, it's very hard. Not just 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 the fear of paddling over that edge, but also the the um, you know, dropping in and coming around that corner because you'd be you know backhand you couldn't really it's at bottom turn you coming around the corner. It was a lot of a lot of fear associated with that too. Um, So it was very intimidating and then with that board I remember paddling out there and just swimming around on that wave and just like absolutely committing to that take or committing, just like committing to the drop. And I find that when when you commit, the fear dissipates. The fear does go away. I know that, you know, I know that in business, I know that in all sorts of projects I've done. I mean, I've stepped in the deep end many times and you know, you have that that sort of apprehension. Uh, But I think when you commit fully, um the courage just comes. This is part of it. It's not like, well, where am I gonna find the it? courage? It's just commit. Just commit to it. And um, and the courage just comes. And the board worked. Oh the board worked unbelievable. So the first wave I swung around and I'm just gonna go for it anyway. Also well, the guys were giving me a bit of a hard time I was walking down and you know, hey Sean, where are you going with the pink banana? And <laughs> you know, they're giving me a bit of a giving me a bit of an actual ex- it actually turned out it was a bit of an added incentive to sure. to do well you know to like really have a good hard dig have a good go take two more strokes you know yeah yeah so that in some ways i suppose that that that, that helped with it that i didn't want to um, didn't want to humiliate myself because you know you want to, you want to be respected by yeah. your peers and you know pipelines is a small little sort of amphitheater there
0: when you're hiring for a small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role and there's no faster or effective way than through linkedin jobs Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: But I, um... Well, the, the chapter
0: is entitled um, I Will Never Give Up, and obviously I think that's the point is you didn't give up and that the board worked, but more importantly, or kind of more lastingly, it was a design... Um, it was an addition to surfboard design evolution in that what was a flaw was actually beneficial yeah. in that the rocker allowed you to get down the face of the wave. But then I've seen a photo of that board with you doing a turn in the lip almost yeah. that Pipeline, which was something that we hadn't seen before. And so it really almost opened the doors to what the current shortboard thruster template is today. Yeah, I think I
1: think the board enabled enabled really, really radical really radical surfing in, yeah. in, in really dangerous, radical waves. So I think you know, in, in that sense it was a... Um, You know, it was a revolutionary piece of equipment, but you know, I've got to tell you, I'm not that sort of guy who just kind of looks back on my shoulder and, you know, like, I'm living in the past. I'm not like that at all. You know, I mean, all the metaphors that that are sprinkled throughout throughout the two books, um, you know, it's always about paddling out and catching that next wave, you know, looking towards the future, looking ahead, the light shines ahead, you know, when you pull into that barrel, you know, you're looking down the line, you're not looking over your shoulder. So, while that period was a wonderful period for me and it was a great period of creativity and a great period um, of putting my life on the land for, for, for the dreams that I had, um, my surfing experience today is very vital. I love it. You know, last week I was surfing in the wave garden.
0: I saw the footage. In the,
1: I was surfing in the wave garden in, in Spain and, and uh, it was just a wonderful experience and I was out there in the water with this young Brazilian hotshot, Adriano D'Souza. And I'm 6'1", uh, 195. And Adriano is, uh, I said, Adriano, like, I'm riding a 6'2". I said, Adriano, how short's your board? He said, my board's 5'6". I said, wow. And he shows me this like, little chip. i mean, Adriana, it's so tiny. So I'm standing next to him in the window. He says, yeah, but I'm only 5'5". Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, what do you weigh? He says, I weigh 135. So my I'm gosh. going, this is before you've taken off, I'm going, Adriano, like, how am I going to ride this thing? Yeah. He's like, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. You'll be able to ride it. First wave comes through. I'm not lying. I paddle. I go over the front. No. Like, full on. Just like kook out. Haven't like, done it in years, probably. Major. Yeah. Like, I'm going, Shit! How about that? I can't even stand up on this. And I say to Adriana, hey, Adriana, man, I, like a, I duffed it big time. I said, Wave just went me. he said Sean this is what you've got to do now here's Adriana the young Brazilian kid I loved it it was so cool he's giving me advice here now this is what you've got to do Sean. you've got to paddle towards the wall and you've got to ride towards the wall and don't worry you'll it's never hit. you'll never hit hit the wall and I'm going I'm going how cool is this Adriana Souza is giving this old bastard some advice I loved it yeah so <coughs> you know I'm saying that I'm a super stoked guy I love my surfing experience, I love surfing when it's three foot, I love surfing when it's ten feet. Yeah. Um, and as surfers we are so lucky that we have that opportunity to continually push ourselves throughout our surfing lives. You know, most I have friends who are pro sportsmen and when their career's done, their career's done. Their, their relationship with their sport is done, they are, they are now spectators. But even though I'm a spectator in, in the pro-surfing aspect, that sliver of my existence, of my surfing existence, the rest of my surfing existence is still super vital and I'm still super stoked guy and I still love to to push myself up against my own limits, of course. Uh, so, so we're very lucky that way. I'm telling you that because sometimes uh, you know, oh, you talk about the good old days. And sure, the old days were good. The old days were great. But today's just as good or better. You know, yeah. That's that, that's kind of what I'm trying to... Yeah. And that's, what, that's, what, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, certain aspects of me that live in the 70s. And that's like progressive rock, Steve Woodenwood in traffic. I'm still right there. You just talked <laughs> about him yesterday, actually. <laughs> but uh, Dave Mason, you know what I mean? Yeah. Procol Harum, Zeppelin. But there's a lot of me that... <laughs> Love
0: with, um, So, the benefit of retrospection and looking back at the 70s is that you can now see how that um, added kind of to our um, how it added growth to your story, you know, or how that board design at that time. Maybe it was just a story that happened. It's like, wow, I'm glad I made that wave. But in retrospect, you can see, like, wow, it actually had a significant... It was a catalyst yeah. that that created something. And so I think that's what helps with retrospection, you know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, with that board. I mean, that board was sort of... Okay, it was a technical innovation, and, and I was, like, right on it. Um, and then a couple of years later, uh, I write about it... Um, as well and I talked to the biggest companies in the world about this, about this concept of technological innovation and how your mind has to always be open. Mm-hmm. You can never have a shut mind and think well this is, this is the way because that's not the way. There are so many different ways. So I talk about a, uh, I wrote about, um, about seeing Mark Richards for the first time on a Twin at off the wall, at like my break, you know, and um, seeing him walk down the beach and going, let's see what Mark's got here. Mark was an unbelievable surfer on a single, you know, he was a great, great rival, a good friend. And I saw him blast that first bottom turn and like accelerate on a small wave like I'd never seen before and I could see like that was the future, man, there's the future. Yeah, That's the new technological advancement. But I didn't accept it. You know, the following day, Mark and I had this insane double tube ride together. Oh yeah, And uh, maybe, the famous. Yeah, it was a yeah. famous wave and a few days later and like I, I was on the inside and maybe the perception was that you know I got the better of it. But, like, you talk about retrospection. At the time, I was like, I got the better of it. Mm. I wasn't going to change. Like, my single thin round pin man, take anyone out. And Mark went on the tour the next year and just started devastating everyone on that, that twin fin. Their technological advancement was there, but I wasn't willing to accept it. I saw it, but I wasn't willing to accept it. So, um, in retrospect, like, when I look back on that wave now, that wave was like... That wave was a turning point, uh, it was a turning point in, in, in surfing where where we've gone from single fin round pin to multi fins, from from uh, um, just hardcore power surfing to the age of acceleration. So retrospection definitely offers you, um, you know, an opportunity to kind of reflect on what's happened, how it's impacted your life, but it's definitely not where you want to live. Right, helps you give reverence yeah. for times.
0: We took a brief detour for a moment. In addition to his surfing accomplishments, Sean has served as Vice President of the ASP from 1990 to 1994. He worked for major brands in the surf industry and currently does public speaking at some of the largest companies outside of the surf industry, like Disney, Google, and GM. Our conversation drifted momentarily to the current state of the surf industry.
1: But you, you know, I must say, you know, you're talking about the surf, surfing media. You know, it, uh, you know, I just try to do good stuff and hopefully people, people love it. But it does, it does sort of hurt my feelings that the surf media ignore my, you know, having ignored this book. Um, have they? Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't seen anything in the surf media about it. And, I, I, you know, for me, i like, I wonder why, you know, like, I didn't expect anything, but, but this book has got a. Pure message man, it's right. for young people, it's for the for the people that read that magazine, that maybe there's a kid there who has got a false idol and a false prophet who's taking him down the wrong way. And I'm not saying I'm a prophet or an idol or anything, but I'm just saying that there's some there's some writing in here that came from a super pure place, that from came from like writing twelve foot barrels of pipeline or low tide and you know tubes of Jay Bay and from putting my life on the line for a dream. Yeah. And I I would have had an expectation that, okay, well, let's give them a, you know, let's write a few lines about it. Yeah. Uh, A little magazine in Santa Barbara called Deep Magazine, read something about my book. I read it yesterday. Uh, Eastern Surfing Magazine, nice little magazine in, uh, in on the East Coast, you know, read something about the book. I haven't seen anything from Surfer. I haven't seen anything from surfing. I sent them the books and phoned them, made phone calls. So, I don't just I just I just wonder like what is the what do you need <laughs> is there sort of a groove quotient that I'm not understanding is there an equation is there a progression in surfing of which I'm unaware, is there a, um, a philosophy that is now current that is so futuristic that I have no understanding of it? Is the kids that I surf with when I go when I wake up at six AM in the morning and I paddle out there I'm surfing with sixteen and seventeen year old kids and we all stoked and we're having a good time, am I not understanding these kids? Do I not do I have no do I have no um, Do we not share a common experience anymore? You do, and what
0: you're identifying is true, that there is a disconnect. What I see it to be is something that I've read that you've talked about with brands that have grown too big for their britches, and they've disconnected from their core fan base. And so I think that the answer is yes, for those mainstream publications, there's an agenda. And if what you sent them doesn't fit with the agenda, the world title doesn't matter. The history doesn't matter. This just doesn't fit with our agenda. Nothing personal. Just it doesn't fit. Moving yeah. on, and so. But, you
1: know, I think. But, what, but what them happened? doing that,
0: eliminates and alienates them from the core customer base. Yeah, because which is their who agenda.
1: Their agenda. If 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 my, what I do, and cause I'm a core hard. I, I I would consider myself when people talk about, yeah, hardcore surfers. I'm like. When I go down to a surf contest and. Kelly and Joel and Mick and they all come up to me and say man Sean we're so stoked you're here and we talk surf Man, we are okay my days of a pro ended in 1989 when I surfed in my last pro surf contest at Sunset Beach but we are kindred spirits we have a a connection there and when I speak to a kid on the beach that's 16 or 17 years old and he comes to me and he asks me for some advice about his surfing his career his life I mean I see myself as um, as a as pure as a pure surfer, and when I look at the media and I see these magazines shrinking, I see the surf industry shrinking, I see uh, revenue dropping, I see um, I just go, well, why have they become so myopic? Why has why have the modern surf media? Why are they speaking to one tiny component of of the culture? Right, they've become they become cultural Nazis in a way that their way is the highway, and and like, like you say, they've just alienated the real surfer. The, it's the like original they, customer base. They are appealing. You know what's happened? Is artifice has replaced art. Derivation has replaced inspiration. But you know where the where I see. You know what? I'm optimistic? I went down to uh, Laguna and I gave a talk on, uh, everyone was talking on wave pools. I spoke about jetties, about using jetties to create waves and I, my thesis was that Over half the world champions in the world have grown up on jetty breaks. I think more more surfers have had more great experiences surfing jetty breaks than others. The longest tube ride in my life. Day of planning. was a bit of planning at jetty breaks. While I was down there, I went down to Thalia Street. There's a little reef break there. And there was about 20 grommets there. It was 6.30 in the morning. 20 grommets there with moms and dads. Stoked out of their brains. And uh, with the moms and dads. And I just thought, wow, this is this is surfing, man. The spirit, the purity, um, the stoke of surfing, man. It's yeah. It's there. It's still, you know, it's still there. Yeah. It's like that is the that is who surfing really is. It's not about a guy, you yeah. know, looking trendy and smoking a cigarette in a, in a surf magazine because it's going to give him some James Dean cred, <laughs> um, or you know, a guy like driving a an old, old van a van around, a V8, you know, trundling shit and carbon into the atmosphere, but it, man, it looks cool, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, get real, man. It's yeah. get real. Like, stop with a fakery. You know, it's like, just get real. Get back to your, get back to what's really important. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, get back to, um, to, uh, uh, um, what's important. Read the first issue of Surfer Magazine. Yeah, and read what John Stevenson said about uh, you know getting that perfect word
0: well I'll take us back to something important real quick as a closer um, give me another minute this is a lengthy intro no, to problem. the final question but I think it'll be a nice way to wrap it up um, so my awareness of you from young when I was young was just like you as a tube writer essentially you know and I think there's a lot of iconic mm-hmm. images and video out there just like at off-the-wall kind of foam ball riding and weaving you know and um, and so that was kind of my awareness of you and uh, the encyclopedia of surfing you know I read that just got released the uh, online Saw oh, that yeah, the,
1: online store too, yeah right?
0: the dot-com and um, they uh, included a quote from Tracks magazine where you said Um, I can remember certain tubes where I was so in control of my mind and body that I actually felt as if I were controlling the wave itself. In the closing sequence of the film Busting Down the Door, which you produced, you included a quote from your son Matthew. Can I read that? Yes. Okay. Um, deep inside the, this quote your son Matthew wrote to you and you can give the story, but, um, quote, deep inside the barrel, completely in tune with my inner self, nothing else mattered. The hard wind and spit shooting past me from behind, my hand dragging along the wall. The light shines ahead. My long hair carried by the wind. My feet are in perfect placement on the board. As I lean forward, I feel myself speeding up, getting faster and faster as the barrel starts to close. I crouch down until my legs burn, and then I pull out to the whole lineup cheering. My body tingles with joy and happiness. That was the day I became a man," End quote by Matthew Thompson. Um, that has particular sentiment because of, um, how I associate with you as being the tube writer and those words from him. Um, you finished the book talking about the sacred circle of the sacred story circle. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the sacred story circle and how that became?
1: Yeah, so, so that essay, that's probably the best piece of writing I think that's ever been written about tube riding. And, and I've been in a few tubes. Um, and, you know, Matthew was a, he was a stoked surfer, but he wasn't like obsessed like I was. Sure. But, I mean, we had amazing moments surfing together. You know, I'd be sitting in the lineup and paddle up to me and throw his arm all around me. And, you know, he, 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 he loved it because I loved it, I think. But he obviously, he had a unique connection and a spiritual connection. He was a spiritual, spiritual young man. And um, our favorite, you know, he read that essay to me two hours before he died over the phone. He said, Dada, Dada, I want to read this to you. And uh, he read that to me. Wow, I think that's amazing. I said, Where did you get that from? I've never read that before. Because I thought it was, you know, taken from a. Surf uh, publication or book. He said, I wrote it. I read for school today. Wow. Wow, Matthew, that was amazing. I just tingled when I heard it. And then he said, I've got to go. And um, I said, I love you, Dad. I said, I love you too, Matthew. That was the last time I spoke to him. Two hours later, he's dead. So, that's very bittersweet what he wrote. Um, but it's unbelievably um, just perceptive and uh, the break our home break is Hammond's Reef which is right near where, where I live in Santa Barbara and uh, we'd go and sit out there and we'd surf there and we just kind of had this connection to the break and uh, when he was young he must have been about 10 on the beach or just above the beach there's a beautiful meadow it's called Chilawa Meadow and uh, Shalawa Meadow is a meadow that's de- dedicated to the Shumash people, the Shudo- mm-hmm. Shumash Native American tribe that used to live and f- fished in that area, they have a settlement in that area. And the meadow, uh, I'm not sure of the exact story behind the meadow, of like who made it sacred land, um, but the Shumash sometimes do ceremonies there. But they have a monument there, and there's a plaque dedicated. The Shumash. And it's a beautiful description on this plaque, the sacredness of the land lies in the mind of its people. This land is dedicated to the spirit and memory of the ancestors and their children. It's super, super profound. It's like environmentalism taken to uh, to a spirit level. Connection to the land, connection to the people, the children, it's just it's so, so beautiful. So he used to like it. He said one day, he said to me, Dada, let's go Let's go up to the memorial. And we ran up there. And you kind of leave like an offering. You know, like shell or feather. It's part of the traditional sea there. There's like a lot of stuff there. So then he said, uh, Dada, help me do this. And he ran down the beach. The beach is adjacent to the meadow. It goes from the meadow to cobblestones to beach and then to Hammond's the, the little reef. So he started picking up cobblestones from the beach and he made a large circle and within that circle he made another circle and I'm helping him along the way and within that he made another. So we have three concentric circles, of large concentric circles of cobblestones on the beach. just Matthew and myself, sure. no one else on the beach, it's just sort of like a south wind day, like not a good day, it's like a grey day. And inside the innermost circle he put down two stones. So I said, Matthew what's this? He said, Daddy this is a sacred story circle sacred story circle now he invented this you can't really find it in literature there's no such thing Um, Native Americans have what they call a talking stick but the sacred story circle just came from my beautiful son's head and he was nine was nine or ten ten. but obviously from being in that sacred spiritual place so he ran off down the beach and got a stick See that this is a sacred story stick now in Native American literature you you can hear about a talking stick pass the stick back and forth and he said whoever's got the stick talks tells a story and he put the uh, feather and some kelp in the stick and we passed it back and forth and we we just told each other stories you know it's amazing you know when you talk about it like I've never really thought before but that's what I do now. I tell stories. You know, that's what I do. I tell stories. Of the biggest companies in the world, Cisco, General Motors, and um, it was the story was in the last chapter of my first book, called Passing on the Stove. It's in, in this book. I'll share stories in this book. So it's now my life. It's what I do. I've never never thought of it. That way so that hour that I spent with my son inside what he created, the Sacred Story Circle, was the best hour I spent at a beach anywhere. That includes the unbelievable tube rides and contest wins and world titles and all that sort of stuff. Just because it's person to person, spirit to spirit, soul to soul, eh? no cell phones, no nothing. It's being connected and being disconnected at the same time, because we were connected within our sacred story circle, but we were disconnected from all the extraneous stuff that was happening in the world around us. We were inside our own little universe there, not dissimilar to when a when you're inside a tube, but the tube is just you and nature. Here it's me, nature, and my boy. It was just magnificent. It was beautiful. It was emotional. It was electric. But it comes to an end, you know, like uh, everything in our lives, that moment came to an end. And uh, so we go home and I, I walk in the door and he digs in his pocket and he pulls out one of the stones. So I say, Matthew, what's that? He said, Dada, this is a sacred story stone from Sacred Story Circle. And you know all the stories we told today. He points to it, they're all inside that stone, and he puts the stone outside our front door and that's where the stone is today. So whenever I walk in to my front door, I see the sacred story stone and it takes me back to that time and all the stories that we told inside the stone. But I don't remember the stories. Mm. The stories... I don't think we what was significant. The significance was we were talking spirit to spirit. And the spirit speaks in, I think, a different language that we can't really understand. So my son and I, my son in the physical sense is dead. But our spirits, our spirit is alive, my spirit is alive, and our spirits, spirit to spirit.
2: Huntsman or a player that made you pay the cost, that now assumes relaxed positions and prostitutes your loss. Were you tortured by your own thirst in those pleasures that you seek? That made you Tom the curious, that makes you James the weak. A link to Sean's new book, The Code, can be found on
0: our website, SurfsplendorPodcast.com. And you claim you got something going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Sean and today's show. Please continue this conversation on our website in the comments section. We also have video clips of Sean surfing and links to everything that we discussed in this show. If you listen to Surf Splendor on iTunes or Stitcher, please rate the show and leave a comment. It helps grow the show and it helps others to find it. You can find past episodes featuring conversations with Aaron Chang, Chris Cote, Eric Eric Arakawa, Tom Parrish, Robert August, and many more on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, where everything is archived for free. Click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher, and all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Also. We have an internship available for an associate producer. If you love surfing and storytelling, go to our website and send us your resume. It's a great opportunity to meet legends of our sport like Sean Thompson. A final thank you to Sean Thompson for sharing your story with me and our audience. We are grateful for the purity of your message and your stoke. This is David Scales saying thanks for listening to Surf Splendor. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode.
1: This story is very, very important for me, and uh, um, it's kind of what I do now, yeah. I'm thinking about it, that's, that's what I do, I, t- I, I, tell, uh, I tell my stories and hopefully, um, hopefully they'll inspire people. <laughs>
0: my mission kind of with the podcast is storytelling specifically like I've used that word a lot myself sure. with this mission so um, and I think the listenership that we've developed values story you know it's not sensationalized and yeah. it's not it's just stories about surfing is the tagline and so um, I hope that we can continue the storytelling
1: awesome. in awesome. this form yeah? <laughs> Thanks, I really know well, it's, it's wonderful what you're doing and it's amazing that I you know, just It's just like how significant it was because it's, all, it's the last chapter in both my books, you know. Um, and, and I think that that connection, one-to-one, is like so important in our, it is. In our lives. Um, but that's what I do now. Right?
0: Yeah. Well, I could continue on for hours, so I, I really appreciate...
2: No, but
1: thanks. To, I'm so sorry I was late.
2: No, it's okay. You Soon you know I'll leave you, and I'll never look behind. Cause I was born for the purpose That crucifies your mind So can't convince your mirror As you've always done before Giving substance to shadows Giving substance evermore And you assume